It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are talking to one of our very favorite guests who we try to have on as much as possible because this is an issue that is not going away. It is the CEO of Feeding America, Claire Babineau-Fontenot. We're so happy to have you back to give us all of your insights on what's going on in your world because we've been watching this entire pandemic Um the dynamic you talked about when we were in studio last year, um, yeah. where the lines, when the w- weather gets cold, um, just move inside. Um, is, th- is that what's happening? I mean, is are the lines and the demand for um, food, are they increasing um, as the pandemic is worsening? We're seeing them stabilize. They're, well, first off, thank you, ladies, for having me back. I so appreciate that you don't forget that there are a lot of people out there who are struggling. Um, yeah. So we're seeing those numbers. They stabilized, I'd say, at a really, really high number a few months back, and we're not seeing them increase beyond that, although we're right now looking at our estimates again, and we'll be updating pretty soon. But based upon what we know today, we're still tracking at having about a 60% increase in demand across our network for food. About 40% wow. of the people who are turning to us for help continue to be people who never before relied upon the charitable food system. And we're holding with an estimate that as many as 50 million people could be food insecure as a result of this pandemic. So the numbers are terrible. Um, and um, we're starting to see some actions being taken that are moving in the right direction, but it takes a while for those to take hold. Right. Um, so right now things are still looking really bad for a lot of people. So in, in the last hour of the show, we were talking about the jobs numbers, which are, are showing that, you know, women are just being way disproportionately uh, taken out of the, the job market and, and disproportionately within women, it is black and brown women who are, are suffering the worst uh, unemployment during this. Are, are you able to, to see the demographics of the, the folks who are, who are turning to the charitable food system for the first time? Does that, does that scan? Is, is that 40% made up of, of, of women largely? Women and children, absolutely. Wow. Um, and, that, and in fact, food insecurity rates in the country, when you look at them, break them down, um, women with children are inordinately impacted by food insecurity to begin with. So what this uh, whole crisis has done is that it has, um, one, removed the veil off, over, off of things that were hidden in plain sight for a very long time. And it's actually underscored it by making things even worse for people who are already hardest hit. So we're, we absolutely see that with, with working women, with children, um, when I, I'm, I think I've said it before on this show that one of the horrifying things for me early on in the pandemic was when I started hearing about two 
two things. I, I knew what was going to happen when I started hearing about the comorbidities that made the disease itself more lethal. I knew mm-hmm. black and brown communities were about to be um, devastated by the health implications. And when I saw which, um, which businesses were going to close, I knew black and brown communities were going to be devastated by the economic impact of, of this uh, crisis as well. And it, it's kind of logical if you think about um, they're more likely to be out there on the front lines, more likely to be at risk for the disease, more likely to be exposed to the disease and to lose their jobs. I mean, it, it's a it's a triple whammy, quadruple whammy. I mean, it just comes at at people who are working so hard um, in so many different ways. Yeah. So we have not spoken to you since the inauguration. Uh, I think we talked right after the election, and there was very much like, yeah, things might change now. This is going to be good. so. Okay. So now it's happened. Um, with the understanding that change takes a minute and, you know, Biden doesn't sign a pen and people get fed uh, or sign a paper. You don't sign a pen (laughs) with a pen. Sorry. It's Friday. Point is. I followed you, though. Okay. I know. I know what you meant. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank thank you. Thank you guys for sticking with me on that. Uh, So the point is it takes it takes a minute between, you know, executive order and actual action that that helps people. But but what has changed in your world uh, since Biden and Harris were sworn in? Well, um, absolutely, we've seen some early steps in the right direction. I, we refer to them as down payments, right? Uh, oh. It's definitely not everything that needs to happen, but definitely some good, positive early signs. One one quick example was even before the inauguration on, on um, the National Day of Service on MLK Day, uh, the president-elect was at a food bank at Phil Abundance in Philadelphia. And I think he could have been in lots yeah. of places uh, on that day, but he chose to be uh, packing food to help vulnerable communities. And that particular food bank inordinately serves black and brown communities as well. So, so that was a good first sign. He told me, um, I'm not going to forget about vulnerable communities um, I'm on my first day in office on the day of inauguration, I'm going to sign some executive orders that will be designed to be helpful. And he did some of that. So what has he done? So far? what have they done so far? Uh, they've provided improvements to pandemic EBT and, and for the audience, that would be, um, a way to supplement the, the meals that kids don't get when they're in school and right. to put it on SNAP or EBT cards or food stamps, whatever, uh, it's easier for people to approximate what we're talking about here. Um, so he very quickly moved to, to make certain that, that some improvements that were necessary were made there. Um, he said that they're going to do a wholesale analysis of the core underpinnings, if you will, for the SNAP's program to begin with. And there, there are lots of odd, um, perverse incentives that are embedded in the foundations of the program right now. And he, he has commissioned a group that's, that are going to look at it. Now, you know, there are lots of groups that have looked at lots of things, uh, the proofs in the pudding. So I hope uh, that they will see the things that we find so obvious about some of the inequities that are built into the system. Um, so I, and, and uh, again, there, there are lots of in the there was some well-meaning legislation that was passed 
before he and and uh, the vice president came into office. And there was confusion that came with that. And he has worked through executive order to clear some things up in a way that are affirming for people facing hunger. So that's good. In his proposed legislation with the um, the relief package, that $1.9 trillion American relief plan, mm-hmm. in there he's embedded some additional help for our vulnerable communities that we that we hope uh, will ultimately find their way into law. I know they took a step in the right direction. I think as recently as last night, they put in place the procedural groundwork that's necessary for them to actually ultimately be able to pass some of this. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that the tone is certainly there. It feels like the intent is there, too. There's some good early signs, but there's a lot of work to do. And I hope that we're going to stick with it and through the, the marathon that people facing hunger are, are confronting. This is not going to be a sprint. Yeah. I remember when we first talked and just asked you, like, you know, in terms of, you know, the federal policies, what would you need, um, you know, to make sure that you have, um, you know, the, the, the resources for the amount of people that need um, food? And your answer was about SNAP benefits. Um, in the COVID relief bill, there is an increase to SNAP benefits. Is it enough? Does there need no. to be another stimulus after this that increases SNAP benefits more? Um, because it feels to me like that is a critical component. And it was, you know, I remember when Jess was surprised by the answer. I think I was a little too. Um, and just thinking through um, what, what, what amount is needed uh, and what yeah. increase is needed for, for SNAP benefits to be enough um, in your view. Let me back it up just a few steps, for, especially for the audience. Um, so um, I'm the CEO of a national network of food banks that um, also partner with 60,000 agency partners, meal programs, et cetera. And, and we're the, the largest hunger relief organization in the United States. And we're built on a model of being doing a better and better job of providing food through the charitable food system. And we have some other pillars to the work that we do too, but I I won't spend the time on that now. I'll just stick to the feed um, side of our work. Um, That system was not designed to do what it's being asked to do today. Um, And at our best, and our network is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And I think, I think the country understands that better today And I I think the world understands that better because of what they've been doing throughout this crisis on the front lines. But for every, for for one meal provided by our our system, according to data from the last recession, SNAP could provide about about nine. So there's, from a data-informed perspective, um, it's not even close. But if you want to really help people um, to get access to the food that they need, you've got to invest in federal nutrition programs. You have to, right? Um, and the other element that you get along with that is a stimulative impact on local economies as well as on the macro economy. And also people get the dignity of choice. Mm-hmm. And I am a firm believer in 
the dignity of choice. And um, one of the challenges with the, the distributions that we're doing now, as laudable as they are, we work hard to make sure that we have nutrient-dense foods that we're providing, but we're the ones deciding what people are getting. Because in, in this low-contact environment, we're, and we're getting food, we're bundling the food, and then we're putting it in the back of the cars, and then people are moving off with their food. And some of that food is not the food that, that those people would choose for themselves. And um, so that's one of the, the things that we need to get past, ultimately. But in the near term, absolutely, I continue to be a strong advocate for increasing SNAP. No, it's not yet sufficient. But that work, that I'm, I believe that you should do things. There Certainly, your heart has to be engaged in the work that you do. But we also, all, also ought to be engaging our heads. And when you look at things like the fact that um, grocery sales, grocery prices are at a 50-year high, and SNAP benefits are not tracking with grocery prices. I don't think That's I realized really that. It's true. Is there is there a reason why? Is that like is that is that inflation across the board? Is everything at a 50-year high, or is there some reason why our groceries are so much more no, expensive no. than normal right now? No, it's not everything. Um, it there definitely is an inflationary cycle in certain products. And unfortunately, grocery is one of them. And there are all kinds of dynamics, I'm sure, of supply-demand dynamics that are at play. But 50-year high, according, uh, according to the um, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, is, is where I believe that, that that number came from. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. So, so it's not built, the system snaps and the federal nutrition program is not built to track with the realities of the people who need the services. So that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm pretty excited that, that um, in, on his first day, that by executive order, he's commissioned this study so that we can use data to inform how we build the system so that the, the system can be designed to really help the people that it's supposed to be designed to help. So that's a big deal part of it. And that's mm-hmm. one of the pieces that's going to take a while. In the meantime, there are people struggling right now. And we absolutely continue to need access to resources inside of the charitable food system. We had about a 50% commodities cliff that was going to happen in January, where um, when we're seeing 60% increases in demand on our services, we're getting a 50% decrease in the federal commodities that we were receiving. Wow. We have reason to believe that the USDA is going to work to close that gap, but that gap isn't closed yet. And then the other piece that's a really strong uh, need is we don't want to go back to the old playbook. It was broken. There were 35 mm-hmm. million people in this country who were food insecure before this crisis. I'm sure everybody would agree that's 35 million too many, right? Yeah. And people were not getting there all of these food deserts and food swamps across this country. We have an opportunity to build something that's way better than what we had before. We've learned lots of things as a result of this crisis. We've been baptized by fire, if you will, mm-hmm. as a result of this crisis. And we need to take those learnings and then we need to dig deeper inside of those. Like we, we should get some additional funding out into communities so that they have the capacity to deliver fresh produce inside of those communities. That means we have to invest in refrigeration. 
They have to invest in transportation so that the food can get to where it needs to get to. So there's more work to be done. I don't know if I'm sounding optimistic, ladies, but I am actually <laughs> optimistic that we're going to get there. Um, but I don't want to give out uh, a false impression that this is easy. That right. it's not. It's not easy. But I didn't sign up for easy. Um, the members of our network did not sign up for easy. Um, and and I hope that the American people are ready to do some things that are hard but important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it feels like hard but important is is going to be a theme, um, <laughs> especially in the, in this moment where I mean we've never lived through anything quite like this before so it feels like there's more space more more of an opportunity to do something bold um and necessary and one of the things that i i mean when you say that 35 million people before the pandemic were food insecure i mean we've talked in depth about some of the reasons but do you think that the political will to really do something about that um for example um, something like the $15 minimum wage isn't something that's connected uh, usually when you're talking about it uh, to providing more resources to people so that they aren't as food insecure. Is something like that that's in this COVID package, um, you know, related to your issue in a way that people don't necessarily. Well, anytime you're talking about something that increases a family's ability to get access to resources, it decreases their need for the charitable food system. Right. Because accessing the charitable food system, it's a symptom of poverty, right? And all yeah. of the things that come, come along with poverty. So anything that you do that does that. So, you know, people will ask, oh, I see in that $1.9 trillion that there's um, a check to people, um, a $1,400 check to people, does that impact what you guys do? Well, yes. Anytime you increase a person's access to resources, you decrease that person's need for the charitable food system. So, yes, absolutely. But there are certain targeted things mm -hmm. that will have the most profound impact on the people that we serve. Um, so, so we have a list of those targeted things that, that, uh, that will, will do so. And you also alluded to um, just a moment ago, there, there are some underlying inequities that are the foundation for a lot of, of the challenges that we see for why I was horrified when I saw um, what was happening with the disease and what was and which parts of the economy were being hit is because these things have been here for a while and we are not helpless to do things about them. There are things that we can do. And I, I mentioned before that feed is a, is certainly a part of the work that we do at feeding America. hence the name, but we don't just feed the body. Right. Um, we also engage and, and we will do, we can, and we will do more, but we engage in initiatives like, um, we have uh, culinary training programs where we often target, in fact, for inclusion in those programs, people who have been justice involved, our returning citizens, so that they have an opportunity to learn a skill that is marketable. And then we help to ensure that they get access to uh, new pathways to success for themselves. We have transportation programs that we do inside of our network. We have members 
who are doing that right now, today, we can do more of that. And the other thing that we are invested, and I'm using that term on purpose, we're going to put resources behind asking the people who are impacted by decisions to be at the table, table making them. Yeah. So one of the That's... things I, I, I'm going to try my best not to do is to act like I've got all the policies that we need to change, that I've got the ticked off and I know exactly. I haven't had enough conversations with people facing hunger. We haven't asked them enough questions. We yeah. haven't given them enough microphones to be mm-hmm. able to have a truly competent set of answers to that question. There are certain things we know for sure. And then there are other pieces that are important that we don't know yet. And we're going to be working on uncovering those answers too. I think that's so important. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, yeah. I had, I had a question about, about charitable donations. When we, I think when we first spoke during the pandemic, when you first said that chilling thing about you're worried about what happens when the bread lines move inside, um, there was there were donations sort of pouring in from all over the place, like mutual aid societies were springing up in like every neighborhood. Like people were, you know, people who were home and 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 you know fortunate enough to hang on to their their paycheck, um, you know, started started donating uh, at at much higher levels. Um, yeah. Has that sustained? Like, have you seen a drop off in donations as the pandemic wears on, or is America still? giving to try to make up for uh, a lack of a federal safety net? Yeah. So I think um, so we have seen a bit of a drop-off, but month to month, we're still at unprecedented levels of giving. So wow. we've, and, and that's not only inside of the, at the national office, but I'm so excited that it's also in, with local food banks directly. And it's something that I try to use my platforms to talk about. And I tell people, if you go to feedingamerica.org, not only do you have an opportunity to be educated on what the key issues are, to learn how to be an advocate for your neighbors, to donate funds to our national cause, but you can also put in your zip, the zip code of the community that you care the most about, whether it's the one you live in now or the one where you met your boo or the one... Um, <laughs> where you grew up, you can put in the zip code there and, and it'll pop, what'll pop up is the, uh, a food bank that serves that community. And then you reach out directly to that food bank and they tell you what they need on, there on the ground. And we try at a national level to understand what's happening. We do pulse surveys to try to understand what's happening in various communities. And then we try to direct funds based upon where the key, the key needs are. Um, but you can also be very targeted in where you go. And a lot of people are doing that, so that's a beautiful thing. So we have continued to see remarkable generosity. The challenge is we had, when we did our analysis, we had, um, we saw about an 8 billion meal gap. That's with all the resources that we already had. We have closed it in some. Well, we haven't closed in 8 billion meals. So we continue to need that generosity. We need it to to continue. Um, And we appreciate every penny and uh, dime and dollar uh, that we receive. And we try to be good stewards of the the resources that we receive. Um, We work at that really hard. But we 
So I want to answer your question in in the most comprehensive way so that I provide that nuance. So yes, it's down some, but it's still at unprecedented levels of generosity um, month over month um, for the work that we do. God, that's so sad that unprecedented levels of generosity isn't enough to feed everybody. Like all of America giving more than we ever have, and we still have a billion, a, a, a an order of magnitude billion meal gap. That is, yeah. yeah. I mean, multi, that, that's multi multi billion multi billion meal that's the that's the issue about trying to rely on the charitable food system. Like that's yeah. that's right there. That statistic is what's wrong with Republicans saying we don't need a public safety net when we have charitable organizations doing this good work and right. more. Like we have more Americans supporting them than ever before, and it's not enough. So the charitable food system is not how um, you know we we, we need. Well, to, I have we, I have said before, ladies, we will not food bank our way out of this issue. We yeah. will not food bank our way out of this issue. And we shouldn't want to. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have an aspiration for our people that they need to line up in one of those lines in order to yeah. feed their kids. Right. But we absolutely should be here when they need us. Right. So uh, the, the reality is that there is no segment of society that shouldn't be participating in the solution. So yeah. there, it's not only there's a charitable food. Um, um, we are a part of the solution, to be sure. In fact, oh, we sure. increase our meals year over year by a billion meals. By the way, speaking of a billion, because of the generosity and support that we receive, we, we increased our meals last year by a billion extra meals. That's a lot of meals. Um, but it's not enough to completely fill in the gap. So this is an all-in fight. And if we recognize that there's a, absolutely a role for government to play, and that this should not be partisan. <laughs> this right. is one of the things we should all agree that in this country, nobody has to be hungry in this country or food insecure in this country. So there's a political piece of it. There's there's a corporate um, business piece of this as well coming in in partnership because rising tides, all the boats rise. If you have more people who have access to money and are yep. stable – then they can buy more of your stuff. So there you go. I think if it we goes can right back to what we were talking about together. before. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's a win, 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 win. Okay. Um, so. so if you want to be a, a, a part of this, um, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's legislative responsibility, there's corporate responsibility, there is also individual responsibility. And if you are able to give in this moment, uh, giving to feedingamerica.org um, will help with all of those comprehensive resources in addition to the meals that, um, that Claire's team provides. So please do consider doing that. It is feedingamerica.org. Claire Babinot-Fontenot, thank you so much for joining us again uh, this morning. We'll obviously have you back as we keep talking about this, but it's, um, it is illuminating every time we speak, and I appreciate you. Thank you both. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show.